Chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. I'll say that again. James chapter 2, verse 1. It's where we're going to be tonight. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. This semester, we've been walking through James. Uh, last month, we walked through James chapter 1. And so if you missed any of those messages and you want to hear those, know that those are on our website. They're on iTunes. You can listen to those via podcast. And we've been walking through this series called Faith Plus Works. We understand that salvation, the, the salvation that we have sung about, uh, the, the, the love that Jesus offers us, this is not something that we can earn. Uh, this is something that we receive in faith. We place our faith in Jesus, we trust in him, and we receive salvation. But we understand, and we've been talking about the fact that true faith, it produces fruit. It produces works. And so we're walking through James because James talks about specific works that should be in the believer's life. We understand that James is talking to Jewish believers, again, believers that have been scattered. We saw that in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. And so tonight, the title of the message is The Problem of Partiality. The Problem of Partiality. This word partiality is also the word favoritism. So maybe in your version, uh, the translation that you're using, uh, James says the word favoritism. See, tonight we're going, to, uh, we're going to discover that faith and favoritism should not coexist. They should not coexist. In your seat, we provided a listener guide so you can take some notes, so hopefully you can follow along. And again, we don't just do this to do this. We want you to pay attention. We want you to study. We want you to take this sheet home so you can go and continue to dig in the book of James, but also there's at the bottom of that notes page, there's what we call the verse of the week. And this week's verse is James chapter two, verse one. It kind of sums up what we're talking about tonight. And we want to, we want to invite you. We want to challenge you to memorize this verse, meditate on it, think about it, because this is a, a verse that each believer should, should think about. Faith and favoritism should not coexist. And this is what we see in James chapter two, verse one. See, James is telling the believer, and we know that it's a believer, or that it's a group of believers, because he says, my brethren. So James is referring to Christians. He, he says, my brethren, and he's telling these believers, do not show favoritism. As I was studying our passage this week, I was reminded of a movie that me and Angela saw this past weekend. Uh, Friday night is date night for me and Angela, and so we went to uh, we went to Moe's. Welcome to Moe's. Got some burritos, and then we saw a movie that I'm sure none of you have seen, The Greatest Showman. And so we saw this. Some of you, if you've seen it, you've probably been singing about it or singing the soundtrack uh, ever since. And so some of you have seen this movie, some of you haven't. Great movie, by the way. And I won't spoil it for you, but there are a couple scenes in which some of the characters do not want to be seen associating with people of a lower class. They don't want to be associated. They are showing favoritism. They're, they're showing partiality. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you had a friend and when you were together with that friend, you were cool. But then when some of your other friends came around, you wanted to disassociate yourself from them. That's showing favoritism. 
Faith and favoritism should not coexist. And this is what we're seeing in our passage tonight. And we see this in verse 1 where James sets up really the theme of the following 13 verses where he's talking about this idea of favoritism. So favoritism or partiality, it's problematic for the church and the believer. If this is a lifestyle that we live, a lifestyle of showing favoritism and treating people much like what we saw in the video, then we see that the church, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, there will be a problem. The message of the gospel will be distorted. People will have an unclear picture of who Jesus is, and people will have an unclear image of who Christians are. And so tonight, we're going to look at five problems with partiality that we see in our text. And so if you will, I want us to read, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read a few verses, and then we'll just walk through some of these. James says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, I want to pause right here, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but here we see James talking about Jesus in a special way. And at first glance, we could read past this, and it wouldn't be much of a big deal, but we understand that historically that James was Jesus' half-brother. And so for James to have grown up with Jesus... And to now refer to him as our Lord Jesus Christ, this is a big deal. If there was going to be any way to debunk who Jesus is, you would think that you could go to a family member of Jesus and that family member would say, yeah, he claimed to be the son of God, but he's not. But that's not what James says. James, the brother of Jesus, he refers to Jesus as Lord and he calls him the Lord of glory. Verse two, he says, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here in my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts? Problem number one in your notes, we see that partiality pays attention to the material. Or you could even write outside of that, partiality pays attention to the external. In verses 2 and 3, James gives us an example of partiality. He talks about a, a story. Now, whether this actually happened in this church, we're not sure. James may just be giving an illustration, but he paints a picture. And if, the, and if it's not something that actually happened, this church was potentially going to do this. And so James wants to warn them of it. But I think this is something that we see often in our lives. See, he writes about two men that show up. One is rich, decked out in nice clothes, and the other is poor and shows up in dirty clothes. So you can see that James is contrasting these two guys. One, he's got all these nice clothes on. Again, he, he's got rings, he, he's got clean clothes, but then there's a guy that shows up and he's dirty. Again, very similar to the video that we just saw. We've got one guy dressed up in a suit, another guy who's just in some normal clothes. He might smell funny. Again, he's got a receding hairline, which there's nothing wrong with a receding hairline. Thank you all for laughing at me. Um, but unfortunately, what James is talking about here in verses 2 and 3, not only was the church then potentially going to struggle with this, but we see that we too struggle with this. 
This happens all too often in our lives. We often give more time and attention to the ones who can benefit or help us. I want you to think about that. We often give time and energy to the people who can benefit us. In verse 3, James says, you pay attention. You're putting focus on the one wearing the fine clothes. Again, this is something that's external. See, James is focused in these, in these first few verses. He talks about the clothing. Again, he's, he's painting a picture for us to see here. And we see the contrast between somebody who's dirty and filthy and smelly. And then you have the person that's clean. And James is helping this group of Christians understand that partiality or favoritism, it pays attention to the material, to the external, to the outside. You see, the outward appearance, the clothes one wears, are earthly. They are material. We see the things that we wear. These, these things are earthly. And these external observations are leading the believers to respond in a particular way. So these believers are letting the external, the earthly, determine how they think and act towards other people. And this is worldly behavior. This is anti-gospel. This goes against everything we just sang. Oh, how he loves us. We're talking about the love that Jesus pours out on us. And we see in scripture that we are like sheep, that we've gone astray and we're dirty and we're filthy and we need a good shepherd in our life. And so we see that the shepherd comes after us. The shepherd pursues us. What can a sheep do for a shepherd? We see that the shepherd pursues us. And so can you see that what James is talking about here, this idea of showing favoritism, this idea of showing partiality, it contradicts the message of the gospel. Partiality says this, the rich man can do more for us than the poor man. So we will give him special attention. Partiality says the rich man is more deserving of the good seat because of his status, because of his wealth. So we will give him a special seat. You see, this is selfish, and it is self-serving. You see, we can be Christians and have a selfish mentality. We can be Christians and still look at people as to what can they give me instead of what can I give somebody else. See, the gospel message is a message of selflessness. The gospel message does not say, what can I get? The gospel message says, what can I give? And we see this in Jesus' life. We see that Jesus steps out of heaven. He comes to the earth. He humbles himself. He puts on the form of a servant. We see that he continually serves people, even to the point of going to the cross. We see that he is giving of himself so that we can have life. In verse 1, James calls Jesus the Lord of glory. As believers, our attention should not be on earthly riches of man. We talked about that last week. We see that in James chapter 1, where, where again, the focus is on riches. These believers see somebody that comes in, they've got some bling on, they got some nice clothes, and they now have special attention because everybody's saying, ooh, look at them. Oh, I bet they have a lot of money. I bet they could help us out. I bet they could do this for us. I bet they could do that for us. But what we see that James is saying is that our attention 
should be on eternal things. And James says the Lord of glory. And we see in several passages in the New Testament, we see the riches of who Jesus is. And so James wants these believers to understand that if we're giving attention to something, it should be the riches of Jesus. That is not something that's material. That's not something that is external. That is an eternal thing. It is spiritual. Colossians 3.1, Paul writes to a group of believers. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In this passage, Paul is encouraging us to have eternal eyes. When we do not have eternal eyes, we have earthly eyes, and this leads to partiality. This leads to favoritism. We begin to look at people not the way that Jesus looks at them, but we begin to look at the way that natural man, our fleshly self, looks at them. So problem number one, partiality pays attention to the material or to the external. Problem number two, partiality places you in a position of judgment. In verse 4, James says this, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, when somebody shows favoritism or partiality, they are making inward judgments based on outward appearances. So they're making inward judgments based on outward appearances. If we look in the Old Testament, many of us have heard about King David when We've probably heard about the story of David and Goliath. Well, a lot of times we hear about how, how great David is and how he's this awesome dude and he's one of the greatest kings. But it's very interesting because in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see that this is before David was king. Before David was king, there was a guy named Saul. Saul was king, but Saul made some poor decisions. And God told the prophet Samuel, I want you to anoint a new king. And so God tells Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. Jesse was a guy. He had several sons. And God told Samuel, I want you to go there. You're going to anoint a new king. So Samuel shows up at Jesse's house to anoint a new king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, we read this. So it was when they came that he, Samuel, looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Samuel shows up to Jesse's house. He sees some of the sons, and there's this guy named Eliab, and Eliab is standing there, and Samuel sees him, and he says, surely this is the man. In his mind, Samuel's thinking, man, this is the guy. And I imagine that Samuel looked at him, and he probably was a good-looking guy. He was probably had a good physique, probably tall. But the next verse says something extremely interesting. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, we read this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, when we make judgment calls based on skin color, social status, body type, looks, etc. We are showing partiality. And in James chapter 2, verse 4, James says that this is evil. This is wrong. Because we're making a decision based on outward appearances, not knowing the heart. Now, we don't have time 
right now to talk about the heart, but we see in other passages that what's in the heart comes out. And so oftentimes in the way someone acts and in the way someone speaks, it reveals to you where their heart is. But in the specific things that James is talking about and in the specific things that we just read about, that the height that somebody has or the clothes that they have, their social status, their skin color, these things are mere externals and they don't reveal what's in the heart. And we see that that the people that James is writing to, and us including them, that if we're not careful, we will make judgment calls that are incorrect because we're making those decisions based on the external. And this is why we need eternal eyes to see people the way God sees them. So problem number two, partiality places you in a position of judgment. Problem number three, partiality opposes God's character. It opposes God's character. So we just saw in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that God looks at the heart. Again, this is a little bit scary. That means that all the things you think, the things that nobody knows about, God knows those things. He looks at the heart. We see in James chapter 2, verse 5, James, James says this, Listen, my beloved brethren, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Notice that God's dealings with man are unconditional. We didn't just read that God loves man because a particular person is rich, because they're wealthy, because they have nice clothes, because they're extremely talented. No, God's love is unconditional. In fact, all over the Old Testament and all over the New Testament, we see that God has a heart for the least of these. And when I say the least of these, I'm talking about those who do not have a voice, those who can't speak for themselves, those who are downtrodden, those who are broken, those who are hurting. We see that Jesus spent a lot of time with these people, those who were diseased, those people that nobody wanted to spend time with. Again, the poor. Those would have been the outcasts. People didn't want to spend time with them. In John chapter 4, for those of you that have been with us on Sundays, we've been talking about the woman at the well. She was a woman who was very full of shame. She was an outcast. And we see Jesus spending time with her. So we see that God's heart beats for the least of these. Last week, we talked about James 1, 27. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I was so encouraged the other day because Angela texted me and said that a couple of you texted her and were interested in going to some nursing homes and to visit some old people. And I was like, this is awesome. Because these are people in our church that are forgotten about. These are people that nobody wants to go spend time with. I I was talking to to some people the past couple of days about what we call our homebound ministry. Our homebound ministry are old people that can't come here. And it's so sad. There's a a minister on staff. His name is Brother Leon. He's very old. He's in his 80s. And he found out that there were some college students interested in going to visit them. And he was floored because for a long time he has been thinking that here you have these old people that are simply forgotten about and they feel like nobody cares for them. But we see that this is who God's heart beats for. 
he beats, his heart beats for those who don't have a voice, who maybe can't stand up for themselves. His heart beats for those who are diseased and dying and poor and needy. These are the ones. And of course, his love is unconditional. So yes, God loves all, but we see that there is a special heartbeat for the poor. And we see this here. Last night, me and Angela were watching a show that, again, I'm sure none of you have ever seen. It's called Fixer Upper. And... Um, it's, it's a uh, tradition in the Terry household that we watch Fixer Upper, and so we were watching last night, and there was a special guest appearance. Sorry if you haven't seen uh, this episode, but Tim Tebow makes an appearance, and um, he makes an appearance because of the circumstances that are taking place, uh, because there are, is a family that is in need of a new house, and, uh, and there's two young boys in this family who are in wheelchairs. And so Tim Tebow wants to do something special for this family, and so we see that that's what this episode is about. But one of the things that I love about Tim Tebow, and some of you, again, when we talk about sports, you're like, oh, you may, maybe you don't like Tim Tebow, but here's the thing. Tim Tebow, a very open Christian, very open with what he believes. We see that there are many things that have gone viral with, with Tim's behavior. I, I say Tim like we're buddies. Yeah, me and Tim. There's so many videos of Tim Tebow spending time with people that most of us would not want to spend time with. We see people that have some type of disease, people that cannot do anything for him. Yet Tim Tebow would, would say, I, I want to give you something. I want to shower you with love. And those people would respond, well, what, what, what can I do in response? Nothing. I just want to do this for you. This gives us a beautiful picture of God's heartbeat for people. This gives us a beautiful picture of God's heartbeat for the least of these, for the poor. And this is what James is talking about. This is who God is. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we sing about. This is the God that, that we come here to study his word. And you see, the only way we can begin to live in this way, the only way that we can see people the way that God sees them is by spending time with God, by spending time with Jesus. As we walk with Jesus, as we spend time with him, we begin to see people the way he sees people. Problem number three, partiality opposes God's character. Now let's keep reading in our text. We pick up in verse five. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Problem number four, partiality produces shame. So partiality is something that maybe some of us haven't really thought about, but as we're thinking about this now, we think maybe, man, this, this is a part of my life. We need to understand that partiality produces shame in somebody else's life. It produces dishonor, embarrassment. We see that, that James says that partiality, it dishonors the poor man, and this brings shame upon him or her. Not only does partiality elevate the wrong thing, but it stomps on the other. It brings shame on that poor man. Imagine the feeling of, uh, of embarrassment or hurt 
that would be experienced if this situation took place in this room. And unfortunately, it's sad to say that it has taken place in this room. Where somebody has walked in here and somebody has made them feel unloved because of the way they look. Maybe because they don't have the same upbringing, the same background that you have. There have been countless people who've come in here and they've never come back. Because God's people showed partiality and God's people showed favoritism. And so those people are no longer willing to come to a place like this because God's people turned them off to the very God that they serve. We see that this is what partiality does. It produces shame. Partiality is selfish and self-seeking. Some might say, but it's my life. Let me do what I want with it. I'm not hurting anybody. But you could live that way and not realize the shame that you're causing on other people. And we need to understand that as believers, as those who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our life does not belong to ourselves anymore. In James chapter 1, verse 1, we talked about it a few weeks ago where James begins and he says that he is a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is a slave, he is a servant to God. This means that James does not make the decisions that he feels like making. It means that James makes his decision based on what the Lord wants him to do. That means that James's decisions are based on God's word. And that applies to me and you, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not free to do whatever you want to do. But you are free to follow Christ. And we see that that is where true freedom lies. Not in you getting to do what you want to do, but you getting to have a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the lifestyle that you and I are called to live. That we're called to be bond servants with James. We're called to follow Jesus, to say no to our flesh, to say no to our feelings, and to say yes to Jesus and yes to his word. See, we must understand that, that, that Christ that he is the one that we follow, that we follow him. And so the way that he treats people, that's how we treat them. The things that he hates, we hate. The things that he loves, we love. Uh, several years ago, I had an opportunity on go, to go on a mission trip. And um, there was a guy on the mission trip who was from a different country. He was from India, and the mission trip was to India. And because he was from a different country, and I didn't really know much about him, honestly, I didn't spend much time talking to him. Uh, there was a group of us, some of you are actually on that trip, and uh, we went to the Gilgal Children's Home, and uh, there were some people that weren't a part of our church that were on that trip, and one was an Indian man, and he came to check out and see what was going on at the Children's Home. And, and I remember I honestly just didn't spend much time with him. Uh, we were there to do some other work, and so part of it was my focus was in some other areas, but I didn't really know who this guy was, and so I, I didn't think to try and even get to know him much. Well, once the trip was almost done, I learned who he was and what God had done through him. And I learned that this was a church planter in India. And I learned that this guy is a massive, massive player in God's kingdom. That because of this Indian man, that God had been doing incre incredible things through him to start churches all over India. And so I just wanted to soak up what he had to say. But unfortunately, I, I showed partiality throughout much of that trip. And because he was different from me and because I didn't know much about him, I said, you know what, I want to spend time with other people, people that will bring me whatever I want, you know, joy, happiness. 
I want to do my own thing. And I'm ashamed to say that I missed out on spending time with somebody that I could have learned a lot more from because I showed partiality. And although I don't think that I did anything that made him feel bad, I wonder if we would have spent more time and if I wouldn't have talked to him, if we wouldn't have gotten to know each other, I wonder how he would have felt. Would he have felt embarrassed, shameful? Why, why don't these Americans from Gardnell, Alabama, why don't they want to talk to me? Why don't they want to hang out with me? See, our partiality, it, it produces shame. Lastly, number five, partiality produces sin. Not only does it produce shame, but it produces sin. Let's look at our, our final section, verses 8 through 13. James says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. So, so what James is saying is that we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see God's law, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. And James is saying, listen, if you do this, you are doing a good thing. Verse 9 says this, though. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That means that you broke the law, you transgressed. That means that God's standard, you missed it. Verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. That means you can get really close. You can jump up and almost touch the rim, but you didn't touch it. You can, you, can, you can be a good person, you can have a clean mouth, and you don't have to do drugs or alcohol, but one little tiny instant of sin, it means that you are a sinner, you are a transgressor. And according to God's word, we just read, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. If I had a bottle of water and there was just a little tiny tiny little bit of urine in it, not a single one of you would want to drink any of it. You would say that entire bottle of water is contaminated, is contaminated, please remove it from the room. Any little tiny amount of sin, we just read, whoever breaks any part of the law, he is guilty of all. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. We've got these big sins here that we would say, man, these are big things. And yet James would say that partiality is also a sin. And if you've committed that one, then you're guilty of it all. Verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in verse 8, James suggests that we should love our neighbor as ourself. If we do that, that means that we are living a life of not living a life of favoritism. We're not showing favoritism if we are fulfilling that phrase, to love our neighbor as ourself. This is unconditional love. It's not based on skin color or social status or whatever. This type of love is consistent with God's character. It is unconditional. However, in verse 9, James says bluntly, if you show partiality, you commit sin. And then he closes this section in verses 12, 12 and 13. He encourages us to live in such a way that is in, in line with God's truth and God's character. I love what David Platt says, president of the IMB. 
He says this about verse 13. If we do not extend mercy, we demonstrate that we have not received mercy. Again, oftentimes we don't demonstrate grace or mercy or forgiveness towards others because, man, they did something that hurt us or they did something that upset us. But if we understand the message of the gospel and we understand that Jesus loves us conditionally, that Jesus has poured out grace and mercy on us conditionally, then we, too, must pour that on other people. See, we can't love someone the way Jesus loves until we have experienced his love. And praise God that his love for us is not based on our social status. It's not based on how we look. It's not based on the clothes that we wear. His love is unconditional. You see, if it was conditional, we would all be hopeless because we have all missed the mark. We are all sinful in God's eyes. Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned. We've all done that. You see, we do not deserve eternal life, but Jesus offers it to us. We do not deserve a relationship with Jesus, but he offers it to us. We can do nothing to earn or keep the life we've been given, and still Jesus offers life to us. I want to close with this. Uh, as I was studying for this message earlier this week, I came to James chapter 2, and I knew we were heading this way, and I began to think and to study and understand that uh, God's word needs to do a work on my life before I get up here and teach it. And sometimes, um, if I don't spend enough time in the passage, then honestly, I don't give God enough time to allow the passage to work in my life. As I was reading this passage earlier this week, trying to let God speak to me, letting it first do a work on my heart, I was convicted. I was convicted because I know that partiality is something that has been in my life. And if you're like me, as you've read some of what we've read tonight in this passage, then you may have felt the way I felt earlier this week. It was either last summer, 2017, or the summer before that, summer 2016, there was a specific moment that my mind went to earlier this week. Ryan Taylor asked me to speak to Kids Kingdom, the children's service on Sunday morning. And, and so, of course, I told him that I would. That time takes place right after we meet at 10 o'clock in here, and so head over there around 10.30 and uh, 10.45, that's when their service starts. And so he asked me to speak. He had asked me before, and I would said yes, and I had done that. Well, this particular time, he says, hey, can you speak? And I'm like, yes, I'll be there. Well, not long after that, Pastor Kevin, he sends me a text, gives me a call, and he says, hey, Madison, I'm going to be out of town. Uh, are you available to speak on, on Sunday to the whole church? And I began to think, and I was like, oh. I told Ryan that I would speak on Sunday. But I texted back, Pastor Kevin said, yeah, I'll do it. And I struggled with that. And I went through with it. I set up with Ryan. I said, hey, man, uh, Pastor Kevin has asked me to preach. Um, I told him that I would. Uh, can I find a college student to, uh, to come and speak? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. But even this week, as I begin to think through this and let God work on my heart, God revealed to me that that decision was purely selfish. It was not based on what I can give. 
was based on the attention that I would receive. And I went to Ryan earlier this week, and I said, Ryan, I'm sorry. And I knew that it, he, it wouldn't be a big deal to him, and he joked with me, and he laughed about it. But I say this because I'm not perfect, and God still has to do work on my heart. And so week after week, the things that we read and study, we have to let God's word, cha- God's word change us and transform us. And I'm still begging that God would transform my heart. And I hope that you too would cry out to God and say, God, would you change me? You see, because of that decision, nobody would have known about it other than Ryan. But what did my decision say to Ryan? And even if Ryan wouldn't have thought anything about it, I knew about it. And I knew that I was making a selfish decision, a decision that doesn't line up with God's word, and it doesn't line up with the message of Jesus Christ. And how many times have we gone through our day making decisions with dealings with people, not because of what we can offer them, but because of what that person will give us? I want to be friends with that person because I will be looked at a certain way. I want to be associated with that person because I will look a particular way. I I want to go over here and do this because that's good for me. But James says that partiality is sin. Is there partiality or favoritism in your life? Are your interactions with people based on what they can give you or what you can give to them? I'm reminded of God's grace because despite my sinfulness and despite your sinfulness, Jesus continues to love us. The decision that I made was a slap in Jesus' face, and he knew before I chose to follow him and put my faith in him that I would make that decision. He knew that there would be moments when I, Madison, would turn my back on him and go the way I want to go instead of following him, and yet he chose to continue to pursue me and to love me. And this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus pursues you in spite of your sinfulness, and this is the life that Jesus is inviting each and every one of us to live out. Could you pray with me?